0: Tamir Zarli here from Clutch Points, presenting episode one of our new Clippers podcast, Clippers Confidential. Um, I'm happy to have, uh, you know, talk Clippers again on the on the podcast platform. And uh, my first guest for you guys, uh, you know him very well. well, that's what Clipper fans do anyways, uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's nowhere to be found anywhere else, uh, except for Substack, maybe? Uh, Justin Russo. Patreon. is Patreon, excuse me, Patreon, there he is. Patreon. Uh Justin Russo is joining me uh for today's podcast, which is a um well, let's just say it's the inaugural episode, but it's take three of the inaugural episode.
1: <laughs> they sometimes say the third time is the charm. If it's not the charm today, I'm just never jumping on a podcast ever again with you. I might just give up. I might just give up on the whole podcasting thing. I mean I give up every day in life, so you know. <laughs> Uh,
0: Justin, so we we are we are fresh off a a nice little Saturday Sunday afternoon afternoon back to back for the Clippers. Uh, we get these what probably I guess three times a year, three times every season. Um, these are these
1: are these are. Do you like these back to backs? These these early early back to backs like this. I don't mind early games. I I do take a little bit of, of an exception to the early back-to-back stuff like I just don't like that aspect like I, I don't like the fact that like I come home like I come home after waking up early so like I'll go to the arena come home and it's like I have to go right back to sleep to wake up early to do it all over I don't like that aspect of it because I don't feel like like I don't have a day after that like I'm in the arena for eight hours so by the time I get home I'm kind of like I have I have nothing else to do but just want to go to sleep yeah I I
0: I prefer these night back-to-backs way more. I think just because you can live or have a second to breathe during the day, uh, see some sunlight, and not be stuck under uh, Staples Center's, uh, you know, just just under that do- that arena the entire time. So, um, yeah, so we'll jump right into it. Um, you know, the, the Clippers did have a big win over the Brooklyn Nets uh, a week ago on Sunday, uh, the final game of a three-game road trip. That was the... After, that was the New Year's uh, Day game, I believe, uh, against the Brooklyn Nets. They beat Kevin Durant, uh, James Harden, and the Nets. Surprisingly, I think they were thirteen point underdogs in that game, uh, and and people were kind of I think they were a little high on the Clippers for that. You know, there's there's a little bit of a high after that game, and then they come home and they drop home games to uh, Minnesota. Uh, they dropped a road game to Phoenix a few days later. They had their they had their first practice in quite a while between those two games. Uh, they come back home after a one-game road trip in Phoenix, uh, for this back-to-back where they played the Memphis Grizzlies and the Atlanta Hawks. The Grizzlies blew them out of the water, minus four starters for pretty much the entire game, and then the Hawks today, um, do what they do best, and that's not really play defense. Um, look a little lost out there, and the Clippers kind of capitalized on that, uh, winning by a score of, I believe it was 106-93. to 93. Yeah, 106-93. Um... Justin, uh, this is maybe this is just my take on this, but um, you know that that Brooklyn win was was I think surprising to pretty much everyone. Uh, But I think from another angle, it's also like one of those trap games for Brooklyn, where you look at a team and you completely underestimate them uh, because they're down so many guys. I think maybe maybe we saw a little bit of that against the Memphis Grizzlies when Jean Morant was ruled out, Stephen Adams was ruled out. Um, You know, Dylan Brooks suffered an ankle injury. Very early in the game, I think he played like maybe seven minutes in that game, and it was basically just the rest of the Grizzlies bench with uh, Desmond Bain and, and John Morant, uh, Desmond Bain and Jaren Jackson. Excuse me, um, kind of leading the way. So, do you think they kind of suffered maybe like a a high from that Brooklyn game, and it kind of affected them the next couple of games against the Timberwolves, who kind of beat them down, the Suns, who beat them down, and the Grizzlies, who beat them down.
1: It's certainly possible, and, and I, I think that is a real thing. I I think there is false confidence, I believe, not even just as, as a team. I think as, as a person, you can get false confidence because a result dictates how you – like. a result can change your mindset, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, in terms of you think you're better than you really are, or you just think that because you got that result last time out, you don't have to try as hard the next time. And as we've seen, effort has been a problem for the Clippers over the last couple weeks, and, you know, you said it. They got beat down by Minnesota, Phoenix, and, and, and Memphis, and those games, outside of stretches here and there, like the Phoenix game was actually pretty close for a while until, like, the halfway point of the fourth quarter, and then Phoenix poured it on. But you get to a point where it's like the win against Brooklyn is so good, It makes you feel so good that it kind of overshadows a lot of the things that were going wrong for you at the time you got the win and maybe sent them into this tiny bit of, I guess, what I would call a malaise where -hmm. they just look completely (laughs) disinterested at times, didn't give hard effort a lot of times, and then paid the ultimate price. And then, obviously, the Memphis game was kind of the tipping point or, or the straw that broke the back, for lack of a better phrase. Because we hear post-game from Ty, like, by far the most frustrated we've ever heard him after a game. Um, not just this season, but I think in general. And, you know, I, I, I think that was the point where everyone realized this is unacceptable. Our effort has to be better. And they turned effort—even if the result of the Atlanta game was a loss— the effort was there, and that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's probably the most
0: frustrated we've seen Ty probably ever uh, during his time with the Clippers. I think, um, you know, uh, to, to my four questions, he had a total of 10 words combined uh, said to me. Um, and I, it just, I, it wasn't just me. It was a few others, but it was just basically... Uh, it, it just summarized how, how frustrated he was that... Um, no matter who was going into the, into the game, sub being subbed out of the game, um, effort was effort wasn't there. Uh, boxing out wasn't necessarily there. Um, just physicality and attention to detail wasn't there. And I think he, uh, it sounded like he, in his way, unloaded on the team and kind of just let him have it. Uh, I I don't know how that um, you know how that kind of comes out, but I did I did think that you know I think after the Hawks game was it Amir or Eric who said that. Um, he kind of did did go off on them in his own way and it, it it you know they hadn't seen him like that before and it did sort of light a fire uh, you know a bit of a fire under them to um, I guess refocus them on, on the things they need to really focus on um, so uh, yeah maybe Tyler's thing did help the um, little little going off on them did help. But I, I, you need to see this for more than just one game, unfortunately. Uh, like The Hawks have been uh, you a know, pretty below-average team, I would say, this year. So like, I think you need to see the consistency over these next couple games. Maybe, again, even if you're not winning games, just do the right things effort-wise, physicality-wise, attention to detail-wise, and just try to win games that way.
1: Um, well, it's like... Th- I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like Ty said, before the Memphis game, where... If you're playing the right way and you lose, like, that's okay. And when you don't play the right way and you lose, that's what becomes frustrating. So I think that's what became, that that like, everything came to a head Saturday afternoon when they lost that Memphis game, when pregame Ty says what he says about if you play the right way and you lose, that's fine. And then you, he watches them play like that. And he takes some of the blame himself. Like he, So one thing Ty does, after losses, he takes a lot of the blame. He will put it on himself. And then we saw the side post-game where while he did take the blame, you could tell he was frustrated. You didn't know what was going to come next. And then you found out Sunday before the game that you know he had, or, or su- Sunday after the game, that before the game in their shoot-around, They have this conversation, or as he referred to it as, was laying the truth out there. And, you know, obviously it got to the players, but you're right. It can't just be for one game, because it means, unfortunately, it means nothing if the Clippers go out on Tuesday against Denver, you know, lose that game in uninspiring fashion, then Sunday was for nothing. Right.
0: Uh, yeah, I agree with you. On that. It's, it's all about just just the way they look out there, the way they kind of kind of you know effort again, effort wise, physicality wise, just just show that they are are, are there uh, and not just kind of you you said it best. I'm I'm kind of just trying to find another way to say it, but you said it best. Um, I, I think one guy that um, you know, I think he went uh, scoreless against Memphis, uh, but he did have. Um, what was it? I think twelve points, seven assists, and two steals against the Hawks. Uh, Eric Bledsoe played well, and Eric Bledsoe's been playing well, uh, especially during that stretch where Reggie Jackson wasn't available. Uh, he did have that stretch from the Sacramento game to the Nets game, where he had five games of at least fifteen points. Um, he averaged uh, seventeen points over that stretch, seventeen point six assists uh two almost two steals shot about 50 percent from the field so and 48 percent from three so he really had um just a great stretch without reggie there uh but i think again it's just the clippers are trying to find how they can get that eric Bledsoe to play alongside reggie jackson uh and i i don't know if they can play alongside one another um you know I, to start the season i thought they could but it's just it, it seems a little apparent that maybe these two just they don't fit along best with one another. It, may, it seems like both, both of them need the ball in their hands. Uh, you know Reggie maybe a little bit more than Eric. Um, so, wh- how can the Clippers kind of get more out of Eric? Like I, I I've I've thought about potentially you know Reggie is starting and then having Eric you know come off the bench for him early and kind of mixing and matching them and maybe staggering them. But wh- what do you th- what do you think the Clippers can do to kind of get Eric going alongside Reggie or with Reggie when he plays?
1: It's very weird, right? Like, it feels like such a natural fit where Eric can be the lead ball handler while Reggie spots up. And Reggie was so good on spot-up threes last year that it seems like such a natural fit. But Reggie needs the ball, too. Because I think we also forget that Reggie in the postseason was, while PG was obviously incredible... Reggie was equally as mesmerizing with the fact that he was able to take guys off the dribble, get to the lane, hit shots, especially off the dribble. So, like, you want to feed into Reggie's ability to do that. But I also think it went so far in one direction. This isn't like a Reggie problem. It's just they couldn't coexist anymore because each guy needed the ball and didn't want to step on the other's toes. But also, that's where the problem comes in. And you look at their numbers, you know, over 500 minutes together this year. I think it's 520, 521, something like that. Net rating, minus 4.2. But when Reggie's on the court without Eric, it's plus 5 in 655 minutes. And Eric in his 572 minutes without Reggie, it's only minus 1.8. But that's been incredible over the last 10 games when you start looking at everything. Because over the last 10 games... You know, you touched on it, like, Bledsoe's been so good. And Eric on the court without Reggie over the last 10, 207 minutes. Clippers are plus 10.8. So, like, this is wildly swung the other way. And it could be because Reggie had COVID. It could be because Reggie, you know, he got worn down from the physicality. And then you look at that Brooklyn game. And Brooklyn game, that Brooklyn game in Brooklyn really was the... I mean, obviously, it was the team's best one of the season considering all the circumstances. But even beyond that, it was the best game those two specifically had played alongside each other. Right. It was the first time all year you honestly looked at it and went, that's what it could be, but it never really is enough. And that one game, everything, it was like perfect harmony Everything aligned. The stars, the planets, they all aligned. And ever since then, it's been rough. And I don't know what the fix is. I'm almost on board with the idea that Eric should be the starting point guard and that Reggie should come off the bench, but they also would have time where they overlap each other. So they're each getting like 30 minutes of the game, et cetera, et cetera. But... It, it, that also creates a problem because Eric, in theory, works better with Serge because Serge has spacing. And, like, there's so many factors that go into it. But, I mean, this is just a long-winded way to say, like, if, if Reggie isn't shooting the ball well, it's hard for them to coexist because Eric isn't, you know, he's not a positive shooter. He's, at best, league average, you know, from three. So right. it creates a spacing problem. And, and, and therein lies the issue with the Clippers team this year in general is they have a spacing issue. They didn't have a spacing issue last year. Cause they, they had all their, you know, their stars, stars played and you know <laughs> Yeah. There's st- like, of course, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to have gravity. And then like, if you help off of Reggie Jackson and he's wide open from three, like m- he's more often than not probably making that shot. So, but now that the two stars are gone, it's all right. Reggie, please go do something, and we'll see what happens. Or Marcus, go do something, we'll see what happens. And that's a problem. So for Reggie and Eric specifically, it's hard to say what the fix is. Other than something as simple as, well, just got to hope the stars get healthy because then maybe it makes everyone's job a little easier to where they're not having to do as much. Well, yeah, this was a team.
0: This was a team built built around uh, their stars. I think you know th- this is a team that. Um, around PG can 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 create for themselves and create for him a bit more um, this is a team that when Kawhi comes back and you can sort of just plug him in and and play around him um, so uh, you're kind of playing a team that's dependent on its stars in the sense that you know they kind of built the team around the stars and, and now you're seeing him without it and it's without the stars and it's just struggling to, to no one's surprise uh, so uh, this probably will be a work in progress um, for many more weeks, I would assume, just as they kind of figure out the best course of action. I mean, Ty's tried benching Eric and starting Reggie. I don't know if maybe he's on board with starting Eric and benching Reggie, but uh, like you said, he has a good rapport with Serge Ibaka, uh, Eric does. So I'd um, be kind of curious to see how they kind of fix that. Uh, a couple of other guys I want to talk about. Uh, Marcus
1: Morris. Real, real quick, oh, I don't mean to cut you off, but but to the point, the overarching point, that you may, like, they're without their stars, you know, any team who's without their two best stars is going to struggle. Like, Denver, for instance, this season, without without they're without Jamal Murray for the whole year, obviously, but without Jokic as well, they've played five games, they're one and four, and their only win was a three-point win against Indiana. And, you know, and they had a 29-point loss to Phoenix, 19-point loss to Portland, you know, like they they got blown out in several games without Jokic, so it's like any team without their two stars, like those are the e- that's the ecosystem of that team. Yeah. They built around them. The guys know how to play around them. Well, now that they're not playing, they're thrown into all these other roles, and good luck, guys. Like try to figure that out. It's not going to go well most <laughs> nights.
0: Yeah, and, and this is why uh you, you can't really overreact to some of the games they've had. Uh, in my opinion, just because this team just is what it is until their stars get healthy you you can't it's really hard to judge um and even have realistic expectations in my opinion uh for this team that's missing what is it uh dollars 78 million in, in 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 players and their stars right their top two players i think they're each making 39 might be wrong about that they
1: they're making uh i oh god i had the i had the the cap sheet up yeah, because I have my own cap sheet. I think they're making like thirty nine point yeah, thirty nine point three, so that's uh seventy eight. Seventy 79 million. So like So just that's... just call it and if you throw in Luke Kennard who they're missing, you know, that's another oh, yeah. thirteen yeah. million. Yeah. So you're Big you're talking of you're you're talking upwards of ninety million dollars that they're without.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um Marcus Morris, uh in his last ten games has scored 20 points, uh, sorry, in his last 14 games, he's scored 20 points at least 10 times. Uh, Unfortunately, that includes a couple of just, you know, um, I think he's had a a 12-point game in there, a 2-point game in there. But other than that, he's been a very, very consistent um, just offensive weapon for them. Um, He kind of looks like uh, he's talked about a bit more of his his New York days where he's the center of the offense. He's getting to that uh, mid to high post area. Um, and kind of operating out of there, and um, it's worked well for the Clippers so far. They they they've had some success. Obviously, uh, they haven't won a lot of these games, but uh, you know to Ty Lue's point, when they play the right way, both on both ends, uh, I think they they can live with the results. Um, Marcus Morris is a guy who, you know, I think there's still an injury concern with him. At least for me, uh, there is there is a concern about wearing him down. He did miss uh close to a month i believe it was 15 games early in the year as he was restrengthening that knee the one that made him that forced him to miss parts of the offseason uh workouts so uh to me the workload they're, they're playing him i mean they've done a good job managing him they sat him at that brooklyn game uh they gave him a few days off um i mean they didn't give it to him he had covid uh so th- he did get some days off in between um But he's playing, you know, 27 minutes, 37, 37, day off, 24, 35, 28. So he is a big, big part of their offense right now. And, um, you know, while I do have injury concerns with him, uh, is this play sustainable? I feel like it's sustainable. I think the way they operate right now, um, really just leaning on him and and playing out of, you know, double teams that he might see, it is sustainable. Uh, Do you think it's sustainable the way that Marcus has played?
1: I think some of it is. I think some of it is not. Like he's taken a lot of tough threes, and now to his credit, he he took tough threes last year, even when Kawhi and PG were playing. But still, like you don't want guy, you don't want a guy to take hand in his face threes all the time. Marcus
0: does this thing where he pauses for a defender, lets him get close, yes. and then takes a three over him. And I'm like, Why?
1: yeah. One of the interesting things from the vantage point I have inside the arena is when he's in a corner. I have a really good vantage point of like how much a guy is actually challenging his shot. Cause on the broadcast view, sometimes it'll look like the hand is closer than it really is, Mm -hmm. but really it's like a challenge to the side rather than like straight on. So it's not as contested of a look as it normally would be. And Marcus generates a lot of that stuff. Like he generates, you know, like, like you said, like he, he pauses, shows a little head fake sidestep, little mini sidestep, and he gets a cleaner release, so it's not as contested. Um, by the way, he gets undercut a lot on jumpers, a, lo- a they, lot, and they actually,
0: they actually, they actually call fouls. They call fouls yeah. for him, but he, he, it's just a dangerous kind of game to play. Like you're going to twist your ankle one day on that.
1: It's kind of amazing he hasn't really had a bad ankle sprain from. Knock that Knock on wood. Oh my god, why are you saying this? I'm sorry. Knock on wood. Very, yes. very loud. Knock on wood. Um, but you look at Marcus and, you know, 19 a game over the last, uh, you know, so he's averaging 19 a game since December 1st, which is, you know, obviously really good for him. And he's done it on a 59% true shooting percentage, which I think is sustainable when or if the stars return, because those shots are going to go from tough pull up mid range jumpers or little turnarounds from the nail to here's a wide open corner 3 here's a wide open wing 3 here's an open you know here's an open shot underneath the hoop occasionally cuz Marcus doesn't really drive to the hoop really anymore so those are the kinds of, I I think those shots are sustainable this sh- I'm not I don't think the heavily contested um threes where you're just pulling up I don't think those are as sustainable but maybe they are because he He was so good on them last year, and the time off has really helped him, because if you just look since December 1st, which is 15 games for him, he's shooting 42% from three in that time, so he's basically back to where he was last year, a little bit under it, but at the same time, he's not getting as many looks. He's not getting as high-quality looks, so shooting 42% on the looks he's getting on threes is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, no, Marcus has been fantastic. I I, I would agree with, with with you. I I mean, I guess the only way it's sustainable is if like the heat cut Marquise Morris and Marquise just starts coming to every Clippers game. Like that's the only way it's sustainable. That's the only way. I mean, uh, except for Utah. He's not traveling to Utah. Uh, nobody goes to nobody wants to go to Utah according to Mark Marcus. So.
1: Um, or Denver anymore either.
0: <laughs> another guy I want to talk about Amir Coffey, um, as not. I mean, doesn't put up the prolific numbers that we kind of. Um, that makes you want to talk about him but um over his last i mean i guess you could tell you say so last uh nine games ten. now he's made two start ten games now uh he's made i believe hes three starts uh he did four. start that brooklyn game i believe oh there's four
1: i think it's I have four it, now
0: i think i i have it as three in the last uh 12 in the last 10 but regardless um averaging uh, basically 11 oh points you're a correct game. i'm
1: sorry you're correct you're correct i'm yeah. sorry
0: averaging eleven points, about eleven points. Uh, five rebounds, I believe. Uh, Amir Coffey is um, a guy who uh, he's been with the team for a long time. Uh, to be honest, he's been with the team a long time. Been with the G League, I know. He he made that. I think I was just, I was I was in Vegas when they, when he made that summer league roster and ended up making the training camp roster, and uh, I think a few of us were were. I don't want to say surprised, but we're like, okay, let's just keep an eye on this guy. Um, I think it was a young prospect, uh, you know, versatile, could kind of do it on both ends, but it was kind of raw. And um, I think you saw, you've seen Amir kind of develop over the years into a really good um, attacker, uh, a, a good lanky uh, defender. Um, I think he's put on a bit of weight uh, over the last couple um, months and years as well, so he, he's more of a capable defender when it comes to you know dealing with bigger bodies. Um, I don't think he's he's there yet in terms of his size, but he, he's he, he's in a good um, position, uh, shape wise, and um, he's really just been able to to do everything for the Clippers over the last couple of weeks. Uh, whether it's defend at a high level, um, you know, push and transition, create extra opportunities for guys, uh, shoot the three ball at a high level, um, he's been really good for them. Uh, Amir Kofi, I, I feel like he's a guy after these two games against Memphis and Atlanta. That you probably would be hard pressed to take out of the starting lineup, um, regardless of whether a guy like when Luke Kennard is healthy, um, you know, when Reggie Eric are healthy, when Terrence is healthy. I kind of think you have to
1: keep starting Amir Coffey. I don't disagree, actually. Um, it was very interesting post game Sunday after the Atlanta game to hear Ty say that he's that Amir's the type of player who won't hurt you. And yes, that's that is is what was telling, yeah. That's a very very key statement to make and especially coming from a coach like a head coach who sees him every day because that that implies there there is a level of trust in Amir as a third-year player still on a two-way contract. That By the way, before I get into that, this is actually crazy. Amir and Terrence signed their contracts with the Clippers on the same day. So that's how long Amir has been a Clipper. It really puts it into perspective for you. Sheesh. But um, with Amir, there, there is a level of trust because he connects everyone around him on the floor. If he notices that a guy is spotting up in the corner, rather than spotting up on the wing... He's going to cut in and dive into the paint to draw the corner defender in so the guy in the corner has a better look on a pass it, it, it's it's that level of thinking he's he's more agile and quick and tenacious in transition. He's able to play three positions. you know, Ty is starting him at the two right now. he's played as the three he's played as the four. um there there really is a very implicit level of trust where you know for a fact what you're going to get from him every night. Now, are you going to get 21 points a night like you are in the Atlanta game? No, you're not. But you're going to get the type of guy who constantly makes the right reads and never turns the ball over. In the last 10 games, he has four total turnovers. And he is passing the ball.
0: That's for a guy who's, who's, if you look at his minutes total and just just what he's doing,
1: that's low. That's really low. Yeah, it reminds me of Luke Kennard early in the season. Like through his first three hundred minutes, Luke Kennard had three total turnovers, and it's because they're they're constantly making the right decisions. They're not playing out of their like they're not they're not going above and beyond what they know that they can do. They know their role. They adapt to it. They move on to the next one when the team needs them to. Amir is a very malleable guy where he can fit in anywhere into any role you need him to, uh, as far as a wing player goes. Now. Is the three-point shooting going to be something that, like, basically, is Amir Coffey a 42.5% three-point shooter like he has been over the last 10 games? I don't know. There's a chance. I don't really buy that. I, I think he's probably more 37, 30, 36 to 38 Yeah, I think he's higher
0: than that. I, th- I would guess probably close to 39.
1: I mean, either way, either way, if he's even 36, you're taking that. Because of his slashing ability, his decision-making, his defensive intelligence, his hustle, his attitude. He digs down on the glass a lot more than some of the other guys. He's constantly in the correct rebounding position. I've never watched him play, especially over this last 10 games, and been like, I don't think Amir tried hard enough or did the right thing there. There's never a play where you look at Amir and think he's out of position. You know what I mean? He's probably the only guy you can say that about over the last 10 games, I would say. I, I would agree with that. He's like he's been their most consistent player of the last ten games. Yeah, and e- even more than Marcus, because while Marcus has been scoring a lot, there it ebbs and flows in terms of basically Marcus's. I'm not gonna say effort level, but 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 it, it wanes at times in terms of him being constantly in the right spots. But with Amir, I don't think that's a worry. He's constantly in the right spots. He's filling the right running lanes in transition. He's always diving when he needs to dive to open up space for others. He's spotting up when he needs to. He's the short roll passer at times and small, small pick and rolls. Like I, I really think that Ty's comments post game were very telling, and I don't think it's crazy to think that when when our FPG returns. Uh, Amir might be the starting three. I don't think that's too crazy, or the starting two next to PG. I don't think that's that crazy.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would I would agree with that. Just because Amir just offers so much. I, my counterpoint to that is the bench might need him more than the starting lineup does. So, um, just in terms of that, I could see him maybe having a big kind of six man roll off the bench. Um,
1: but at the same, but at the same time, I don't th- I don't think just because Amir starts means he can't play with the bench. I, I just. Like, he's going to get probably 10, 12 minutes. Even if he starts, he'll probably get 10 minutes a night where he's in bench lineups, and then, like, he could be the guy who bridges, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, We did get a major Kawhi update. Uh, Well, I don't know how many. We don't get those often. Uh, I mean, the last update we got was was me asking, hey, have you seen anything on Kawhi? How's Kawhi doing? Good. Um, Any more explosive box jumping? And the response was, no, I try not to look. Uh, I don't want to get too excited. That was Tai Lu, I believe. It was like after Christmas Day, I want to say. Um, so there's been not much on Kawhi, But hey, Chris Haines is reporting that uh, uh, Kawhi is a- ahead of schedule, um, which you know Farbad Esnashar did report as well a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, that Haynes just basically reiterated that, reiterated that Kawhi is ahead of schedule and a return this season is a strong possibility. Uh, that strong possibility is a quote. Um, the Clippers are currently, I want to say they're, um, uh, opened, uh, NFL standings. Perfect. Uh, the Clippers are currently, what are they? 10th in the West. They are ninth in the West at 20 and 21, one game under 500. Uh, They've got a brutal, brutal rest of the January schedule. Um, Things could be bleak. Paul George's return date is not known yet. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, But it sounds like Kawhi, according to this, is adamant on returning if he's physically, mentally, um, you know, able to. Uh, I... You know, Marcus has said that he doesn't know if you know he he wants he wants Kawhi to take his time coming back. Um, you know, guys have said that they're not really relying or thinking about Kawhi returning. They're kind of just doing their own thing, um, and they want Kawhi to take his time. Uh, I, I I don't know if you want Kawhi to, I don't want to say rush back, um, but we are approaching the what is it, the six six or seven month deadline from his injury, um, and I. It's tough because the Clippers, if they're still in the conversation for a playing spot, I think you absolutely play Kawhi, and they could be like one of the best playing teams ever, uh, assuming PG also comes back. Uh, but there's also the risk of, of re-injury. I mean, you know, Clay Thompson. I think that was more of a freak injury. The I think he tore his uh, Achilles a second time. Uh, this is after a year of recovery from the ACL, uh, and and like not to say it's it's connected at all, but I do think that. You just have to, have to, have to just take your time and really work your way back into shape, which I'm sure he's doing. But I don't know. Do you think he, he could consider returning early if he's not 100%? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think, I don't know. What do you think?
1: So we are, next week will mark seven months since Kawhi tore his ACL. Um, but I believe it's
0: uh, it be six months uh, when did since he, ha- he
1: got the surgery. Six. Yeah, it's six months since he got the surgery, though. So yes, if you really look at it, I I side with Marcus's line of thinking personally as a person, which is there's no need to rush. Take your time. If you like, there, there there really is just no need to rush because this is your livelihood, this is your career in a lot of ways, your life at stake on the basketball court if you do come back too soon. However, the other line of thinking I have is, I think he's coming back because of the comments he made on media day. And those have played in my head like a loop the entire season where he talks about, I could have taken the one and one and done free agency again this coming offseason. season. But I wanted to save you guys the hassle. And so I signed the contract I did because if I want he's like because I want he's he phrased it in a way that sounded like he was trying to come back.
0: So I don't and want to sit the sec- financials. I wanted to, I want to be able to focus on rehabbing and coming back, I believe is what he said.
1: Yeah, so right there that tells me he wants to come back and he got the money in case he comes back and it doesn't work out and he has to miss more time. At least he got the money, essentially. So that's the other line of thinking. Plus, part three of this is Clippers have no reason to tank. They absolutely have no reason to tank. They don't own their draft pick. It goes to Oklahoma City because of the Paul George trade. So it's it's not like him sitting out the whole season. In several, In like four months, you could be like, well, it's okay we didn't make the play-in or the playoffs at all because, you know, at least we have the shiny top 10 or lottery pick coming our way. Like, you just don't have that. It's not coming to you. It's going to Oklahoma City. You're not going to see it. It is what it is. The other side of it is there also is no reason to tank, and also the big part I think he's coming back is they're going to, no matter what happens, they are going to be in the thick of the play-in race. Um, I don't think they're going to get a top six seed. They're already three back in the loss column of both Dallas and Denver. I think that's a tough, tough thing. Halfway through the season now, as we are, that's a tough thing to overcome. And I'm not sure how much they can like get into that range. So we're looking at seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And right now, as you said, they're ninth. They're a game back in the loss column for seven. They're a game back in the lost column for eight. But they're three up on San Antonio and Portland for the nine seed. So Portland, they own the, the Clippers own the tiebreaker with Portland. The Spurs are one and one against each other, and they have a game coming up later this this stretch. I think this week, and that'll be the last time they play. So whoever wins that game wins the season series, and that's a massive tiebreaker. Huge. So sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the word it, is it, huge. I'm doing the hand Yeah, no, you're, you're right. It is huge. Um... So yeah, I, I think Kawhi comes back. If you're asking me, and I know you didn't ask me, but if you're asking me to put a timeline on it, I, I, I mean,
0: redacted. Even
1: a month from now, or five weeks from now is the All Star break. So, that's what seven months post ACL surgery. Are you saying he's eight coming back in seven of- months? <gasps> yeah, I know. And I, Cam Akers just came back from an
0: Achilles injury in four, so it's possible. I mean, it's it's not shouldn't be considered
1: the norm, but it's somewhat somehow possible. That's the most superhuman thing I've ever seen, by the way. Um But I think I don't think ruling out a mid March return is that crazy. I mean, okay. maybe he comes back. I'll tell you when. If he comes back, I'll give you the date. You ready? Okay. March 25th. Is Are they playing a certain opponent? They have two days off prior to playing the Philadelphia 76ers and then have another three days off prior to playing Utah. Both games are at home. Ooh. And then it's a Chicago-Milwaukee back-to-back where he can rest one of those. And then you finish up four straight at home against Sacramento. Fe- I'm sorry, against New Orleans, Phoenix, Sacramento, Oklahoma City. A nice little ramp up to a possible plan or postseason berth.
0: I I mean if Kawhi comes back I, I do think it'll probably be around March I don't think it'll be February I don't think it'll be early March I think it'll be mid to late March, uh, if he comes back. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I would agree with you. I just I, I think you want to make sure you're one hundred percent when you come back and, and not risk anything. And uh, the Clippers should be in the thick of things. I I I would guess, um, despite their 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 schedule ahead. Um, as far as PG uh, Paul George, there hasn't really been an update about him. Uh, he is nearing the three-week mark of his um, three to four-week uh, reevaluation time timetable. Uh, I think Christmas is when they—Christmas uh, Day is when they announced that he would miss um, some some time. And it has been one, two, two weeks and two days. So not even close to three weeks. It's two weeks and two days. Um, I I don't know what happens with him. I, I guess that reevaluation is going to tell a lot. I would assume he doesn't return right away. Uh, once that reevaluation is over, um, you know Reggie did tell us that he's been he's been talking to Paul, obviously playing video games with him, uh, telling him to take his time. And Paul's been saying that his elbow feels good um, from the torn UCL in his right elbow. So um, I think PG comes back this season. I think um, you know obviously this torn UCL is similar to the baseball injury that pitchers suffer. I believe it's they go Tommy John surgery to to, to to um repair it, I guess. Um but most basketball players I believe don't undergo surgery because it's not as severe. They don't really use that elbow for you know the throwing is as hard. it's more of like just like a like a catapult kind of motion. But um PG, I, I would guess probably I mean, it's weird that they're pushing the all-star campaign as hard as they are for a guy who might not even play in the all-star game. So part of me thinks he could be back by the All-Star game. Um, maybe even a little before that. It, it, it would just be really weird to me if he's unable to play in the All-Star game and they're pushing this PG for All-Star campaign like this. So part of me thinks that's why they're kind of pushing it for him to get there.
1: I mean, I also think they're just pushing it because that's their duty at this point. Like, they don't know how long he's going to be out, so push your guy to get into the All-Star game while he can. I, mean, I, wouldn't I be the think it would, it would look
0: it would look really weird if he got in and it was like, yeah, I can't play. It's like, oh, so you've been missing the last two and a half months with an elbow injury, and we voted you a starter.
1: Didn't that happen to someone else recently? Well, they've been out for a while. I thought they'd been out for a little bit, maybe not a while, but a little bit. I can't recall anything like that.
0: I know a uh, reserve, Jimmy Butler, got in even though he was ne- he wasn't healthy and wasn't going to play. Uh, or he's the one who no no he's the one who I think was injured. Didn't give up his spot, uh, and then what did the All Star game? But didn't play.
1: That sounds exactly like something Jimmy Butler would do.
0: Yeah, yeah, did not give up his spot. Um, so yeah, um, PG. Uh, yeah, there's not really much on him right now. Um, I mean, d- d- how do the Clippers continue without PG? Like, I, I just, I think they kind of just gotta gotta play through Marcus, play through um, Reggie and Eric a bit more. Um, and kind of just weather the storm this PG thing is is weird because you know as Woj reported it could be a season long injury a season ending injury potentially uh but it's nowhere clear at the moment what that is
1: um it's going to take duct tape and bubble gum at this point uh they're just going to have that's how they're going to have to get through this is you take it a, like there's no long term picture now with the, with the 2021 22 clippers it's not it's, it's no clear long-term picture. It's day by day, game by game. How do we win this game? Because if we don't win this game, it's going to hurt us in the playoff race or for the playing push. So you got to win this game. Can't worry about stuff down the line kind of thing. So that's where I think yep. they're at. But PG, maybe he returns All-Star break. Like, we're coming out of the All-Star break. I mean, that first game is in L.A. I mean, it, it, it's a road game against the Lakers, but it's still in Los Angeles. So you know maybe maybe that's his return Possibly, and yeah. you ju- you just go from there because i mean I, that where he comes back early march or maybe mid march i don't know like the, there's so much uncertainty with with the stars right now in terms of health and timeline and every time there's any time that we ask about them it's there's no new updates and that's <laughs> just the nature of it yeah i know so, it is Sorry, what it is. I, at this I believe point. the term
0: you're looking for is, and I quote,
1: "I can't remember." Close quote. That would be the quote. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So as far as as far as what the team has to do, it's 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 a lot like the Atlanta game. You're just gonna have to out effort people because you're not gonna out talent them. Yeah. Most nights you're that. not going to out talent teams. You you have to out effort them, and you know I I don't want to like. <laughs> For instance, the perfect example of this is Memphis. Memphis just outworks everybody. They might, like, yes, they have talent. Obviously, Jaw, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson. You don't name Desmond
0: Bain second. You name him (laughs) second. It's happening right now.
1: Anyways, so they have, like, those (laughs) level of guys. But it's because they're winning because they're outworking people. They always play hard. They always compete. It's going to be very rare when you see the Memphis Grizzlies have an off-night effort-wise. And that's why they're a great team right now, especially right. in this regular season, because they compete each and every night. That's the level of tenacity and intensity and effort and, and drive and will and physicality, as Ty wants to say, that the Clippers need to have every night, no matter who is available, because you cannot afford to lose games that come across your schedule as one's where you have a decent chance to win. Because with the guys out that they have out right now, it's very few and far between that you're going to see a game and go, that's one that they should probably win. You got to win that game. And that's the time of the season they're in.
0: Looking ahead, they got um, a three-game week ahead of them uh, for the next episode. They'll be facing the Denver Nuggets at home on Tuesday. Uh, They will face the New Orleans Pelicans on Thursday night on the road in New Orleans. And then... um, and the San Antonio Spurs Saturday night, uh, also on the road. Uh, so one one at home, two on the road. No back to backs here.
1: Um, what do you predict for this three game week? I might actually shock you right now. You didn't know, three and zero really. Three and zero. I'll go. I'll be very optimistic right now. Maybe I'm jaded. Maybe Sunday jaded me. I, I'm going to be very watched optimistic. My man
0: coffee. My man watches the Steelers pull off a comeback. The Jaguars beat the Colts, and he's feeling himself.
1: And no tie happened, even though I was kind of.
0: I'm so very. I just, it's ridiculous.
1: I was a little bit annoyed. I kind of wanted. I really wanted the last game of the NFL season to end in a tie, but um, yeah, I, I'm gonna go three and zero. I'll be very optimistic right now. I'll say three and zero. Okay, I'll go two
0: and one. Um, I think the one game they lose is 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 the the cursed location, and that is New Orleans. For whatever reason, the Clippers just can't win in New Orleans. Good call. Um, that's a great. So call, So I by think the way. I think they lose in New Orleans. I think they beat Denver, beat San Antonio. I don't think those will be easy. Um, I think the, those teams are are really hard to stop, especially the beat down that the that's Denver and San Antonio gave them the last couple. Well, Denver didn't beat them down, but um, you know, the, the beat down that Nikola Jokic gave them inside, um, and the beat down that the, the Spurs kind of gave them on, on offensive glass.
1: I, I mean, the Pelicans gave them two beat downs. So. <laughs>
0: yeah i'm predicting a loss there though so oh
1: that's true
0: that's um but i i think i think they'll go two and one on 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 this upcoming three game week um all right the question i had for you that i told you i was going to ask you um is that the worst timeout ever called in sports not including chris weber's timeout so because I believe they were going to run the clock out. It looked like a lot of people said they were going to run the clock out. Derek Carr said calling the timeout changed our mindset. It looked like they were just going to settle for a tie, and both would have gotten in. This is the Chargers and the Raiders game that, like, uh, oh I I just, I'm so annoyed that it didn't end in a tie because everything leading up to it was like tie. The epic fourth down drive by the Chargers. Epic, just fourth down to, to to get a field goal in overtime, and it just ends like this.
1: Am I allowed to cuss on your show? Uh, yes. Derek Carr's full of shit. It didn't change anything, it didn't change the Raiders' mindset. I'm gonna tell you why. This is so I've had a lot of time to think about this because in the moment I was like, that's a very stupid timeout. I then watched a video that explained why it was taken, but how the Chargers screwed it up. The Raiders were always going to run on third down because they were, at the end of the day, the Raiders' thought process was, and this is this is from me saying what the Raiders' thought process was, so I'm hypothesizing and assuming here, but I believe it's correct. The Raiders were probably thinking, we're going to run on third down no matter what. We're going to drain the clock down and then kick a field goal. If it's a long field goal, it's a long field goal. Because at the end of the day for the Raiders, the only way they were not going to make the playoffs at that point was if the field goal was blocked and returned for a touchdown. And that is such an incredibly low percentage of probability that it was worth going for for the field goal. So I think what they were going to do was, no matter what on third down, run the ball, call a timeout like they did anyways, and then kick the long field goal. Where the Chargers screwed up wasn't the timeout. Where the Chargers screwed up was they changed personnel after the timeout. They had two linebackers on the field initially, called timeout, and removed one of the linebackers for an extra safety to play a true dime package. So they had six defensive backs, four defensive linemen, and only one linebacker. Well, the safety they brought in completely botched the run coverage and, got, and, and went to the wrong side. And because he went to the wrong side, it allowed the run by Josh Jake—I believe it was Josh Jacobs—to go up the left side, and he picks up ten or twelve yards. And they have an easy field. They have an easier field goal because it still wasn't easy. It was like it was what forty-eight yards or something. Forty-two, so, I believe it was. Forty-two. So, I I think what happened is the Chargers called timeout in case he kicked the field goal. And, like, I don't don't know what... Okay, the timeout is weird in theory, but I think they were trying to force them into a further field goal by basically saying, we're going to force you into this tough situation, and it just never worked out. It just didn't work out because they put the wrong personnel on the field. If they had the right personnel on the field... Go, go. Brennan
0: Silly said... We called a timeout because he knew the Raiders were going to run and wanted to make their get their defense set. Mindset was to make the stop and make the Raiders' field goal attempt as long as possible. Uh, Raiders coach Rich Bisaccia, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, said uh, he had a conversation with his coaching staff about just taking the tie, but after Josh Jacobs gained 10 whole yards on third down for a new set of downs, uh, they decided to, to let the clock wind down, call timeout, and just kick the field goal, which is about 42 Okay,
1: yards. so the, the coach is lying to because, I'm going to tell you why. Because the difference in them kicking the field goal or going for the field goal and them running the, into the tie was if they got a tie, the Raiders had to play the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. And if they got the win, which they got the win, they play the Bengals in Cincinnati. And you'd probably much rather play Don't the Bengals than the Chiefs. <laughs> so I think the
0: Raiders see the Chiefs enough.
1: yeah so he's full of crap he's full of crap about the the tie he wanted the win and let's not forget the psychological factor of you get to knock your rival out
0: oh because they're in the same division correct
1: yeah wow wow so I I just I think the timeout was weird but I understood it I think they just botched the personnel Mm -hmm. afterwards and that was where they lost it because at the end of it, like yeah, in theory, like, yeah, they could have just let the clock, like the Raiders could have just let the clock, you know, run out. But like I said, they wanted the, probably wanted the Bengals instead, which makes sense. So I just, I don't know. I just look, man, it was a great game. <laughs> Justin Herbert's insane. Cause the, that two minute drive that he orchestrated like 20 plays, all passes, um, Insane. He probably Insane. he probably should have had about seventeen completions because they dropped balls. They just botched things. He his arm. uh I'm kind of I'm kind of sad we didn't get a tie, even as a Steelers fan because I love watching him play and throw the football. I think f- the NFL needed him in the postseason.
0: You done goofed. You done goofed NFL. You done goofed. Um, yeah, he would have been fun to watch, but. Uh, this podcast has gone on long enough. Justin, where can everyone find your stuff?
1: You can find me on Twitter at, at flybynight, You can find me on patreon.com slash flybynight as well. If you really want to read anything that I have to say, I don't know why you would, because I talk enough as it is.
0: That is true. He does talk way too much.
1: Just see me in the arena. You'll realize it.
0: <laughs> Justin, thank you for coming on. Uh, for all you guys who are joining, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll begin now weekly episodes of Clippers Confidential for you guys, where we'll be talking about you know a lot of the stuff that that, that I that I get from locker rooms, locker rooms, <laughs> like that's a thing. Uh, used to be a thing. Um, from from the from these press conferences, talking to players, coaches, just being around the Clippers, uh, and around some of my fellow media people who have been fantastic this year. So um, follow along, tune in. Hope you guys enjoy. it. If you have any recommendations. Definitely shoot them to me on Twitter. That's where I'm at. Um, you know, follow me at Tomer That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I don't know what else there is. Uh, follow Clutch Points. We make our best graphics ever. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. And we will see you guys next week.